Welcome to Stellar Discussions, a podcast by Public Node members. Public Node is a nonprofit organization led by Stellar community members working together to support the open and inclusive Stellar network. My name is Daniel, also known as Mago Fox. Today, I'm joined by Martine Weinstein. Martine, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Daniel. I'm super excited to be here. Really excited to have you here. So today's podcast is going to be a little bit different than our previous three. So the first is a little bittersweet. Today, we don't have Brian. That's the bitter part. The sweet side is he's off being a family man and doing good things with his little daughter. The other difference is, is all sweet. So in our last episodes, we've always encouraged people from the Stellar community to come and be a part of this podcast. And today, that's exactly what we have with Martine here. I asked Martine to be a part of this and, and actually a Stellar community member encouraged us to make a connection. And so here he is. We're going to actually focus today's discussion on his open solar Stellar Community Fund proposal. But before we jump into that, Martine, you want to tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Yeah, maybe I'll give a bit of my story and how I came to be in the podcast to some extent in the Stellar Community Fund and doing some of these very exciting and important projects like Open Solar. My original background is in astrobiology, uh, how life emerges on planets and the feedback of how microbes and atmospheres are connected. And it's really helped me guide my research and innovation work throughout because it's really about making connection between the micro and the macro. Then I shifted more into understanding that social entrepreneurship, so changing the way and our paradigms of doing business is a key part to address our largest environmental challenges. It was, of course, the astrobiology lens that led me to think about, wow, how sensitive our planet is and how fast we've eroded some of the key metrics for resilience, such as our atmosphere and its capacity to maintain temperatures because of our greenhouse gas emissions. So climate change has since then led a lot of the actions that I take. And the social entrepreneurial side is quite important because we have to think about how do we change our entire economic thinking in some sense. Then I focused my doctoral work, my PhD, on Understanding complex systems, organic biology, planets, these are all complex adaptive systems. And we have to think about our solutions in the lens of complex systems. So I focus on the transformation of the energy business system and how to think about it. Let's say all of our carbon majors, all of our oil and gas production, and all of our mindsets behind our economic thinking as part of a complex system. So we have to really shift the paradigm And I I really wanted to dive deep into that. And actually, what led me into the distributed ledger technology space was I was was diving deep into corporate law and the importance of changing profit maximization into stakeholder value maximization and actually the issues of, of corporate law embedded into it. So when I was thinking of alternative models for organizations to better gear their social contract towards a collective purpose, I bumped into the concept of decentralized autonomous organizations. And I was like, this could be something that really informs the future of corporate law. I don't think we're quite there yet with DAOs, but it's definitely a blueprint that I, I really hope something, we can turn it into part of that and also earth system governance. So then two years ago, I founded the lab that I lead at Yale University called the Yale Open Innovation Lab, which focuses on the intersection between emerging digital tech, IoT, AI, and blockchain. Obviously, it's a big focus of the lab. Multi-stakeholder partnerships, radical collaboration between different groups, and planetary level thinking. At the same time, my other hat is with the Digital Currency Initiative, the MIT Media Lab, 
which is where Open Solar started. There's a brief mention of that in the community fund. But my role within universities is basically to incubate some of the big picture ideas. But the exciting thing is that we launched this year an independent nonprofit called Open Earth Foundation to really scale those ideas and incubate the projects that can actually have an impact on the real world. Universities are a great place to have these first thoughts, but not great when you want to operate this in the real world. And when it comes to open solar, spinning that off of the university and being able to scale this in the real world, this is what really got us excited. And immediately we looked at the Stellar Community Fund as a first place to get validation from the community itself. That's great. What, what I like about everything you're doing is everything seems to have an open element to it, right? So it seems like you founded Open Lab, obviously through the universities, a lot of big names, MIT in there, Yale in there, which is neat. But then you made the jump to the Stellar Community. So why the Stellar Community? What made you come to us? The Stellar Community and the Project Open Solar are tied Almost, I would say day two. Day one, open solar starts after Hurricane Irma and Maria takes down the grid in Puerto Rico. And we're looking, how do we help the grid in an island and ensure that the, the financing of a restructuring actually benefits the local community? And around that time, I was already having discussions with collaborators from a company that doesn't exist anymore, which is called Neighborly. And they were focusing on municipal bonds and they, they did a couple of pilots with Stiller and having chats with Jace Wilson, he basically was like, you have to look at Stellar, and that he was like my segue into looking at Stellar. And then it, no look back since, because the thing that, that we loved about it is first, when it comes down to financing high social and environmental impact infrastructure that is decentralized in the sense is, we're not trying to hear finance a huge solar project. We want to finance many small, medium scale projects. That's a lot more complicated because you have to look at the legal structures and finance, project finance structures normally look for economy of scale. We need to be able to take that large economy of scale logic, but then divide it into these disaggregated projects, which use the, the value of low marginal cost contractual automation. But the key part is that we also need to make the investment very democratized. So no matter where you are in the world, that you are able to participate and make sure that your capital is financing infrastructure, that its value also speaks to you, reducing emissions, empowering communities, whether they're in your local community or whether somewhere else, let's say in an island in Asia Pacific. And the cross-border finance mechanism or the cross-border movement of capital that Stella provides is great. The second thing that this we, we discovered a bit further down the line is that the type of smart contracts that we developed for open solar are written off-chain but deployed on-chain as opposed to Ethereum that are a bit more deterministic. From the get-go, we wanted to look at securitized investments, so not just crowdfunding or peer-to-peer -peer financing models. It is a peer-to-peer -peer financing model, but how do we bring in equity? How do we bring in bonds? How do we bring in instruments that eventually down the line can bring in large pension funds and banks to mobilize capital at a large scale. And for that, we obviously needed to look at how do we get the Security Exchange Commission to approve the use of smart contracts in those financial deals. And one of the main things that the Security Exchange Commission finds very important is that they actually don't like deterministic contracts. They need the power of humans to pause things when things go wrong because if not, you cannot guarantee the full protection to those investors. And we find that Stellar is actually a great 
stack to be able to create plausible smart contracts in some sense. So have you been talking to the Security Exchange Commission about your idea, like what they're looking for, particularly as it relates to open solar, or are you just do research and you just know right now that that's what they, they need. Yeah, so it's a good question. And I'm happy to give a better, let's say, background overview of open solar as well. But so from the Digital Currency Initiative Media Lab, there's been you know, constant relationship with the Security Exchange Commission because of ICOs. So within our group, there's been a lot of contact. At the same time, when we looked at, okay, within the US, this is purely within the United States, but the whole point is that this is designed to not just apply to the United States. Within the US, an area that becomes very interesting for what we build and where we're building and the next projects that we're adding into, if the community fund comes through, is the regulation crowdfunding model that the Generation has allows basically equity crowdfunding regulated and also for non-accredited investors. So anyone can invest on a project. So we've been close connected with that community, RecCF portals that are members of FINRA. And they're also the ones that confirm that say, we want this platform. And in some sense, they would be the ones that would have to use it in the United States because we as a nonprofit driving open solar cannot be the portal that offers securities. We're not a FINRA member. We're not a broker dealer. We need broker dealers and Rec CF FINRA members to want to use this on the back end to improve their operations as a securities offering platform and portal. And so they're also the ones that validate that. They're the ones that have had already discussions with SEC and also through uh, MIT and other partners, we got support from legal partners. So large firms that really were like, ah, this is very interesting. We want to give some pro bono help on helping you guide through this because if you achieve this, it would be you know quite a game changer. And so we've had conversations with the lawyers, conversation with the FINRA members, conversation with the SEC directly and indirectly via the DCI. And we're actually quite ready with one of the uh, Rexia portals to start writing some of these letters or like why this is a technology of interest that is not related to ICOs. It is purely related to something that the SEC normally does, which is you know, project financing. What I love about what you're saying is there's always been a kind of a critique about the Stellar Community Fund is sometimes, you know, anybody can put up a proposal up there and sometimes those are just landing pages, right? So they put up a landing page. It sounds really good. They're asking the community to, you know, kind of bet on them. What I love about your proposal is there's just a lot of meat here. There's a lot of groups, a lot of solid groups that have been trying to solve this huge problem. And I do, I mean, just bringing Yale and MIT and, and all of the groups that you mentioned just prior, they're all in one way related to open solar, I think that's um, there's a level of meat and detail that I think that I saw even in the community got really excited about your your proposal. The response was just a lot different than than what we see. And so anyway, kudos there. I'm excited to hear that. So let's but let's step back a little bit. Let's you talked about non-accredited investors in this. So there's kind of two different ways I could think about this working. So one is let's say I'm here in the United States and I want a solar community, just my neighborhood wants a solar farm in a field right across from me. And then the other one is, I feel like I want to help people in Africa or in after Puerto Rico because don't have the infrastructure or two, their infrastructure got wiped out and I want to help. So let's walk through both of those examples of how your open seller can, can help. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great question because it will help us walk through the three main, let's say, personas, but actual roles in the open solar structure, which is investors, developers, and receivers. Receivers are 
or recipients of the actual infrastructure, which in investment jargon is always the off-taker, at least when it comes to uh, solar and power purchase agreements. So let's start with the first one that, let's say in your community, you might identify a field or maybe the roof of a large warehouse and you think, hey, this is a sunny place. The, the tariffs here are high, so it would make total sense to have solar. And you are, you're not an expert on renewable energy project finance, but you can become suddenly a developer. And that's whole the idea is that anyone should be able to be a, a solar community entrepreneur. And so you would log on, and this is one specific feature that, that we're working on with a, with a couple of other partners, which is to create an originator engine. So to, for you to originate a project, you have to run through a whole wizard, let's say, that will guide you through the due diligence of, well, uh, let's calculate that solar size and see what's, uh, what are the financial assessments. Uh, but also you might also be community igniter of, let's say, a cooperative that then that solar is co-owned by other people in the community. So as a developer, you've now create with other folks in the community, the legal structure to be the recipient. So who's going to own that infrastructure is not you or some of your neighbor, but a cooperative. So now you're taking a dual role as the developer, but also you created the cooperative, which is the recipient. And in that case, once the project runs through the different phases in terms of due diligence and it becomes an investable project, you might need capital in the process. So one of the things that we designed in the open solar code and actual, let's say, fundraising process is that investors can already support the project at the beginning without being able to invest its whole expected totality, because that would be a lot of risk for a project that doesn't have a lot of already full due diligence embedded into it. And so let's say operational costs may be anything from like a couple of grants. That's something you could raise. Once the cooperative is set, you've signed a power purchase agreement with the, for example, utility that will be able to sell something, but also maybe the tenant that is the owner of the building. And in many sense, that power purchase agreement is also done in the context of the smart contract where that the cooperative will pay for electricity as normal, but then those funds will be deposited into the main account of the project, which is an escrow with different multisigs, and then that will be used to pay investors. And those would be investors, they would come into the project, obviously members of the community, as non-accredited investors are invited to be investors. And in fact, sometimes we have the capacity to be able to ensure that a project has a percentage of local community investors. So it's not only foreign or domestic high net worth, et cetera, investing in the project. So that covers in some sense the developer and the recipient model. Let's think about the other model, that the example that you gave. And actually, we've done a lot of work, obviously, in Puerto Rico, but actually with the government of Rwanda, with a partnership we've, we've had with them last year on how to increase energy access. And so if you're interested in funding a solar array on top of a women-only school in rural Rwanda, and that's one of the cases we've looked at actually, then both either an accredited or a non-accredited investor, you'll be able to do that. So for that, the issuer becomes Rwanda's special purpose vehicle that's created. Now, we expect Open Solar to first launch here in the U.S. and be sort of like U.S. only, but then have an international platform that can onboard projects, securitize projects from different jurisdictions, therefore connecting with their specific security exchange commissions. But because you're in the U.S., 
the U.S. Security Exchange Commission will also look at your investment into that project. And, and those are things that eventually we, we think we can clear out and reduce all the frictions in the process. Now, obviously, a, a project in Werner won't just show up out of nothing. So we also think that in the same way that I mentioned the originator role for you in the community, there's a role for an origination within a specific jurisdiction. And that is actually very common to how we would see a franchise model elsewhere. Uh, so how to be able to create and replicate. And, and we see that uh, obviously more on a bottom-up approach rather than, let's say, the normal Uberization of uh, of Uber itself going into different jurisdictions and setting up rather than creating all the open source and documentation for someone in a specific jurisdiction, such as let's say Indonesia, which has a huge potential for open solar because it has 10,000 islands and most of them have very little access to electricity or run on diesel, which is extremely expensive. And we are now starting to collaborate a bit with the UN development program to look at its application in Asia Pacific. So hopefully that, that covers your, your two models and how open solar currently caters to those, but also some of the features that we expect to roll out in the future. Yeah, so that's really good. I mean, what it sounds like is you're building a turnkey option. So any person anywhere, I mean, clearly there's some regulations and different local rules and governance that you've got to work through. But the idea is you guys are setting up a turnkey method for anybody to fund small solar arrays all over the world. Yes, absolutely. And, and obviously regulation is one of the most important bottlenecks, but the good thing is, is that we envision that everything else in terms of like financial payments, thanks to uh, stellar infrastructure and contractual automation and reducing costs and, and digital legal templates as well can be democratized through this model. And then I actually think that in the near future, those regulatory constraints won't be as high anymore. And, and one of the key logics to this is, is also to address two main issues. One is a global socioeconomic inequality. How do we move capital from places where there's a lot of accumulation to places where it's most needed? But the second part is when it comes to climate change and mitigation of climate change through, for example, renewable energy, no matter where you are in the world, one unit more of renewable energy that is displacing carbon assets actually benefits absolutely everyone in the planet because that common platform of exchange is the atmosphere. <laughs> right. Yeah. We all live on the same planet and we only have one, right? What someone does just because it's on the other side of the ocean in the end, it impacts all of us. You had mentioned something about using multi-sig and or at least that feature of Stellar is something that you use or plan to use for open solar. Is there anything you can share with us about how that particular feature of Stellar is important for open solar? Yeah, absolutely. And we actively use it in multiple different occasions. And I might not be exhaustive in my descriptions here, but it works very closely also with the escrow function. So when investors... So you decide to invest in a project, obviously their funds might be committed into an escrow. And then once the funding actually is achieved, then that initial escrow is open solar platform general escrow. And then it's uh, relayed into the project specific escrow. And then that project specific escrow is subject to the governance of the project. And so, for example, the developer, the originator might have a specific signature to it and the recipient for sure, but also perhaps investors themselves. So the, those are features that we can use in terms of governance. For example, you mentioned an example where a cooperative would be the recipient. And therefore, in that sense, when the cooperative has to sign that uh, certain things have been met uh, on their end and are ready to 
deploy the project and start paying electricity, then you can use multi-signature functionalities to assure that everyone that is taking an active governance role within a cooperative signs the document. And then often it requires the platform to also sign itself almost automatically just to check certain formats. But then the other example is when the developer finishes specific tasks, let's say deploying and installing the system, then it has to provide its digital signature saying, I did that. But then there's other ways in which digital signatures within multi-sig get implemented, for example, with IoT devices. So we implemented something where the power meter that is a specific assigned a role within the contract is the one that determines how much energy is being produced, obviously has a direct information towards the billing cycle and how much needs to be paid based on the energy that was produced, but also that the system is working properly. You don't want someone to be, let's say if a developer has a contract of O&M, which is operation and maintenance, and the meter is not reading, then that automatically has to create a, a ticket, let's say, for that developer to fix, and that should be part of guarantees. And so we actually, just between Astros and Multisigs, we create a lot of different, let's say, mechanism designs and opportunities for the right feedback dynamics to be designed. It's not a one-size-fits-all. That is why the, the type of originator engine is so important, because it's, it's a defining what is the best model for the community and also what is the best way for investors in how they want to deploy their capital. In the other role, we look at, for example, the role of oracles, particularly to calculate how much carbon was displaced by unit of energy as it pertains to the minting or issuance of a renewable energy certificate that can be part of the financial deal. And so that is a third-party oracle that reads and then signs a multi-sig and then you have other, like the, the initial IoT device also signs it itself. And then those are two signatures that you need prior to issuing a REC with a carbon offset. You know, it's really great to hear you talk about it like this, because at least for me, I always knew multi-sig was really important. But, you know, I think this community, the average community member probably just thinks of it as security to, you know, keep their lumen safe or whatever assets they have safe. But what I think you're laying out here is it is such an important feature of Stellar that you've entwined it in so much of what Open Solar is trying to do. And I'm sure a lot of other developers are doing it too, where it comes into even making sure certain milestones are met and when they are, certain things happen. So thank you for walking through that. I'm actually surprised by how much you're relying on it, but I guess it makes sense given how powerful that feature is. Yeah. And it's also up to developers to create new contract and models using the OpenX and OpenSolar platform and framework, because we come up with some of the ones that we think are very important, particularly on a on a more short-term go-to-market strategy, but there's all kinds of different possibilities in the horizon. Like you could create your co-op and turn it into a DAO, and and then there's different governance features that a multi-sig wallet or wallets will have within that specific DAO as well. So it's really up to common developer originality and creativity to think about different ways for decentralized financing that are more equitable and that are particularly useful to address some of the issues that legacy financial systems are currently not doing. Yeah, which I think it plays into like a rings in my head about something that Jed McCaleb actually said about all of this. So someone said, what is Stellar going to allow people to do and what's really going to make it take off? And he said, you know what? All I know is I will be surprised by it because I think what you're saying is Stellar provides a lot of tools, but the creativity and the developer actually help get to mold what is created with those tools and kind of springboard Stellar, the whole network off of that. And even one of the chief architects of all of it, 
expressed his opinion that he would probably be surprised by some of the things people create with a platform that he essentially started. And just one last comment. I mean, this is the same thing with law and contracts. People pay insane amount of money to lawyers to come up with extremely creative deals and contracts that are necessary because you have, you know, extremely talented and creative lawyers that can provide that. But then they are not replicable in the sense that if you want to do it again, you have to hire those lawyers again. And so the beauty of this is that once we put all the all the tools together, and let's say for a specific project, you need lawyers to come up with a very important design. Once that is digitized and templatized somewhere uh, around the world, they can reutilize and maybe tweak a couple of variables here and there. And so there is a lot of compound interest on the value that the network produces. Particularly for projects like yours that are open, right? Because I mean, people can see your code as you create your own creative solution for this. People can grab that and build on it, right? So I think it even plays even more so for open type of structures like you're doing with Open Solar. Talking about the attributes of Deller and some of the attributes that I know lend itself really well to Open Solar, there's a couple of attributes that I think are worth talking about. And one is the speed. So Stellar is really fast, but for this kind of project, I'm not sure that you need three to five second closure when you're building a solar array or something like that, right? So I'm just curious, is that, I mean, it's a neat feature, but is that something that comes into play? The other one is it's not a proof of work algorithm to get consensus. So does that play into, you know, what you're trying to achieve, improve the the environment and all of that? And the fact that, you know, as far as the green attributes of Stellar, very good. And then lastly, the contracts, the smart contracts, how Stellar smart contracts compare to Ethereum and just, you know, really quickly, just kind of brush through those of, of how do those play or do they or do they not impact Stellar's attractiveness to open solar? Yes, the speed for a project like this doesn't seem to come up as a necessary thing. Because you as an investor will get a, a schedule of payments. You don't get paid in real time. You don't pay your electricity in real time. You pay your electricity monthly. So you, it's not like you have to have a constant process. And we, even though, for example, we take readings from IoT sensors at a 15-second resolution, that actually doesn't have to be recorded in Stellar. That just gets accumulated and then dispatches. So speed is not as necessary, but it doesn't mean that it's a superpower that we don't want to have down the line as we look at other models. The green attributes from the point of view of the network, yeah, of course, that is extremely important. A big part of our other project, which Open Solar eventually combined with, is open climate. And climate is about climate accounting. And it's around really measuring emission reductions. And that is another important feature that Open Solar has, is we've been working with different groups around uh, assetizing the renewable energy certificates, as well as uh, turning those renewable energy certificates into mitigation outcomes that fit eventually within the Paris Agreement. And so that is a, another project, but it's another project that actually Open Solar is designed to link and inherit all the different benefits. So the emission reductions that happen with the solar project actually are part of eventually a nationally determined contribution to the Paris Agreement. Maybe that's for another right, podcast. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So... Because emissions are so important, things like Bitcoin's proof of work is not very, you know, it's not great PR or even uh, actual ethic alignment into something like open solar. So we really looked into that when choosing Stellar. Federated Byzantine agreements really have a, a great benefit in that sense. And it's a no brainer that we should be rolling out consensus algorithms that really reduce the emission intensity per transaction. And definitely that plays a role. The third piece, which was 
the social contracts, I think I talked about it at the beginning, the fact that some people are like, oh, you know, they're not as deterministic as Ethereum contracts. Actually, for the case of securitized investments may be a benefit. And we uh, want to pursue that uh, as an argument with the Security Exchange Commission of why we want to pull with Stellar. Very important for us to be able to have seamless integrations with, let's say, stablecoin providers and KYCs and MLs. And it's, it hasn't been as straightforward. There's a lot of different anchors out there, but we've worked with Anchor USD so far. But we, we definitely, we're, we're betting on, on the whole ecosystem like that to improve over time. And obviously, cross-border transaction costs down key, obviously, a key part for, for choosing stuff. Yeah, I, I can imagine that the idea of having a network where any form of value could be paid to pay for your electric bill has to be something that's a beneficial because, you know, I, I hear about things like MPay, things like that, that are going on in, in Africa that becomes a, a medium of exchange. And the idea is on Stellar, someone could create an MPay anchor and then it has path payments built into it. So the idea is for me as the school I could pay in whatever form of asset I have. And my investor gets paid in whatever form of asset they want. In my mind, that's that's probably something with global reach and a lot of different currencies, a lot of different forms of value probably lends itself pretty well to things like your project. Yeah, and, and that actually speaks a bit to like what we've done in our pilots in Puerto Rico. We have two or three pilots deployed on the ground running open solar. And what do we try to roll out in this next phase is probably, I'd say, phase one. But phase three or four looks at really that global international finance, digital decentralized finance network, because on one side, we have to solve our, our economic gap. We have to move capital from where there's a lot to where it's needed and, and not in forms of donation, but actually in economic empowerment of those areas and SDG type infrastructure, clean water, clean energy, you know, affordable housing. These are extremely good models to mobilize that capital mobilization. And also, it, it, we work closely with the City Science Group at the Media Lab on how does it actually fit into urban design. But the point is, can we really make value in money and investable money move around the world as if it was just uh, electrons on a copper wire? <laughs> and that is in large funds, such as a pension fund, where you as an end investor actually can see more visibility of where funds are going to a portfolio of projects in Africa, Asia, or your local community here in the United States or South America. More visibility and tracking that. And that is also relates into, similar to the 2008 financial crisis, how do we actually have more clarity and digital trust tracing where a security is issued and the underlying asset and risks are tied to any derivatives or things like that. That's not my level of expertise, but we've designed it to be able to phase three, be able to connect with those things. And obviously projects within the Stellar community that have worked and solved some of these things, that's the whole point is that we think that this is great because we are designed as a radically collaborative initiative and project. So we want to plug them in and obviously our API is available and, and and that's the type of networks that we want to build within the SOA community. Yeah, that's great. So really one cog into a much bigger piece here is what we're sounding like. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. I'm going to give you a chance to talk directly to the Stellar community. They're about to put in their votes for all the different proposals out there. I know that you probably want to get a, a number of those votes. What What's the sales pitch for like, why is this good for Stellar? Like what, what, what does your proposal do that some of the other proposals may do, but your proposal in particular does? I don't want to say it in relative terms versus other proposals. I'd rather, rather skip on that. I think everyone has their merit. 
I speak from where I, I stand as in my dedicating my career into planetary issues and environmental stuff. I think it's very important for the whole distributed ledger ecosystem to show how the technology addresses real world problems, but also macro problems. I think open solar touches on all of those environmental issues, social equity issues. It also has a direct connection into maybe making Stellar a go-to place that security exchange commissions can support. And so I think that is definitely one of the biggest impacts that can come out of this. The community fund will help us fund the efforts towards driving this through the SEC and getting first approval. And that may be a game changer for the community because then, you know, everything we do is open source, but then it allows other group projects to say, oh, great, we can follow suit and use that same case for other places. So it touches on mainstream finance. It touches on planetary issues. I think it, it really speaks to why these technologies are what help us deal with the existential threats that we deal with in the next now, but also how we navigate the next 30 years. That was a heck of a sales pitch. Nice job. It was very good. I'm really excited to see your project. I was excited, like a lot of other folks were, to see it up there. It was a bit different than everything else. I think you nailed it. And you don't need to be relative to everything else. Just stand on your own. I think your guys' project really stands out. Rooting for you. Hoping you get a lot of votes. I'd like to see you help advance Stellar. Really happy you're here. Glad you found us. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you. Very, very exciting and happy to do a follow-up at some point to dive deeper into climate because I think there's also a great topic there. And also happy to connect with the cell community. Don't hesitate to write me. I'm straightforward in the in the cell community, Martin Weinstein. Uh, uh, so you'll you'll find me. You can you could write me and love to connect and see how to also synergize with other projects as well. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's been super exciting and I look forward to more. Perfect. 